You're listening to Seattle Sports Saturday, Saturday with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. It's raining, it's pouring. Hopefully we don't cause you to be snoring for the next three hours here on Seattle Sports Saturday. Joined by Lydia Cruz, I'm Curtis Rogers. Lydia, big, big weekend, big day today, especially with the end of Chris Peterson's head coaching career at UW, which comes uh, 4.30 today in the Las Vegas Bowl. Boise State, that's story number one, but there's also a huge slate of NFL games today. Really this entire weekend as the playoff picture gets clearer and clearer. We're going to do our best to to sort it all out today because there's just a lot to get to. And oh, by the way, there was also National Signing Day yeah. earlier this week. So yep. a, lot of, a lot of stuff going on this these week. These days in November and December, you know, you get the, the bowl game stretch also now ahead. Not just UW today, but next week we'll get to see the Cougs and the Cheez-It Bowl. And, yeah, yeah, and then also go. on the 28th, we'll get to see the college football playoff. Right. Where you've got the Peach Bowl between Ohio State, or no, Ohio State, Clemson is in the Fiesta Bowl. Oklahoma LSU is in the Peach Bowl. Uh, so, I mean, this is, as the song says, it's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> yes, it is. By the yeah. way, the holidays also happening. Yeah, we're, we're, what, four days away now from Christmas, and then, uh, you know, our our guy Taylor. Tay. Celebrating Hanukkah celebrating as well. Hanukkah. So whatever holiday you might be celebrating, you know, hopefully it's filled with fun, laughter, friends, maybe some food, some carbs. I'm down with that. Yeah. I'm down with that. And then, oh, by the way, the Seahawks, they had plenty going on this week. I, I thought yesterday... Maybe the Seahawks, or maybe Seahawks Twitter. This sounds like a job for Seahawks Twitter, which I know they're out there listening. We should start a counter days since the Seahawks were unnecessarily dramatic, which I don't know if it would get past more than like two or three, especially during football season. It's like how you like to brag about, you know, the days since the last workplace injury. Mm -hmm. You put up a counter. Yeah, Uh, which I think... Hopefully, we're you know double digits around. I would think so. But uh, yeah, the Seahawks. Yesterday, with another huge headline coming their way, we're going to talk about that uh, and just kind of what it means for Seattle the rest of the way, which it's going to have a lasting impact. We're talking about the suspension of Al Woods uh, on the defensive line. He gets suspended four games for violating the PED policy. Couple that with Josh Gordon's suspension earlier in the week. A lot of holes to fill on the Seahawks roster and – you know they're going to do their best, and as we know in Seattle, as has been the case with Pete Carroll for his entire existence as Seahawks head coach, next man up. Absolutely, and always compete, right? Pete, looking at this, we'll hear from him in his press conference yesterday as an opportunity for the next person uh, to be promoted on the practice squad. So we'll discuss at nine fifteen uh, whose production they're going to miss the most. Let's get into this hour's big three. Number one. Just as Curtis said, it was one of those days yesterday where you look down at your phone, maybe on Twitter, and you just go, oh, no. Again? Please, no. Defensive tackle Al Woods suspended without pay for four games for violating the NFL's performance-enhancing substances policy. The NFL announcing that yesterday. Now, this is four days after Josh Gordon suspended indefinitely for violating not only the PED, but also the substances of abuse policies. And just really unfortunate for Josh Gordon. There is a bevy of different reactions to that. And as a fan, I'm sure you can feel whichever way you want. But ultimately, it comes down to a human being at the center of it. And Josh Gordon being uh, 
there. And Russell Wilson spoke about it this week of how he just wants him to get better. And, and they had forged a connection while he was here. And uh, at the at the center of that is a human being. And we wish him all the best. Now, to fill Al Wood's spot on the roster, which is the news that came down yesterday, it was already a depleted defensive line. You're dealing with injuries to Genevieve and Clowney and a recovering Ziggy Onsa, which is the good news. But to fill his spot on the roster, the Hawks promoted defensive tackle Brian Monet from their practice squad. Monet hero game. Woods will miss the final two regular season games and then the first two playoff games should the Hawks make it that far. Otherwise, his suspension will carry over to next season. We'll discuss the implications of both the injuries and the suspensions at 9.15 a.m. Number two. A less than ideal Friday injury report for the Seahawks. Jadevian Clowney and Quandre Diggs both listed as doubtful. Clowney dealing with that core injury. Diggs dealing with the ankle injury he suffered late in last Sunday's game against Carolina. Listed as questionable, Shaquille Griffin with a hamstring injury. Michael Kendricks also dealing with a hamstring. And Dwayne Brown continuing to deal with that bicep injury he injured early in this season. Some good news, though, on Friday. Bobby Wagner with the ankle injury and Ziggy Ansah both not listed on the injury report. That's some good news as the Seahawks defense will continue to be down a few starters. We don't know exactly how many, as still some of those guys will be game-time decisions come tomorrow against the Arizona Cardinals. We will talk uh, coming up at 9.15 about the suspensions and also the injuries. How are they going to go about replacing the production from the guys who were injured, as well as Josh Gordon and Al Woods? We'll get into that uh, coming up in less than 10 minutes. But, uh, you know, some good news mixed in with some bad news on the Seahawks injury report. Number three. The early signing period for college football came and went this week. It was a pretty productive one in the books for Washington. According according to multiple recruiting services, including 24-7 Sports, UW finished the earlier period the early period with the top signing class in the Pac-12. That's pretty remarkable and Not notable. Bad. Yeah, Not bad. Curtis and I we looked back for several years and couldn't find one. I got no. all the way back to about 2002. Yes, so it's been a while since UW has sat at the top of that, especially Oregon coming in right behind them at number two. This is extremely impressive considering Chris Peterson made his announcement that he was going to step down. Jimmy Lake was going to take over. And it speaks to those commits and how they believe in the program and what they've created here. Speaking of Chris Peterson, it is his final day coaching that we know of for now as a head coach. Yeah, asterisk for now. Yeah, 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 for now. Um, But we'll hear from him on what this matchup means. It really couldn't be written any better. Boise State, his former head coaching job versus his uh, versus UW. And he said he he spoke about it this week. We'll, We'll hear from him. But man, this day he wants it to be about the players, although Part of it will, of course, be about him and the legacy he's created here. Remember, you can watch that game, 4.30 p.m. on ABC. Big day for the Husky program. Big week for the Husky program. Uh, we'll talk about Chris Peterson and his legacy at UW. A couple of points today coming up at 9.30 and then later in the 11 o'clock hour. But you just run through the numbers of what Chris Peterson has accomplished at Washington. Only six seasons, which is not a lot of time to really leave your mark on a program. But he definitely did. Uh, led UW to two Pac-12 titles, three New Year's Day bowl games, college football playoff berth, a 6-0 and record against the Cougs, won 67% of his games at Washington. Uh, I mean, other than Don James, I don't think there's a more accomplished coach that Washington has ever had in their program. And uh, we'll get into 
just what is his legacy at UW? Because also beyond just those numbers, too, we, we heard from a ton of former players after this was announced and the things that he did for players off the field as well and turning them into great human beings. I think, you know, that speaks to his legacy. Of course, winning matters, but that speaks to it just as much. It does. And uh, some honorable mentions this week. Pro Bowl announcements came out. The Ravens led the NFL with twelve. They're eleven or they're what twelve and two. Their entire team on the yeah, that's like what a quarter of their entire roster (laughs) going to the Pro Bowl. The Seahawks, on the other hand, they only get two starters named to the team: Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. They did get what seven alternates named, but there's no guarantee that those players will go because someone's got to bow out for those guys to get into the Pro Bowl. More former Seahawks on the Pro Bowl roster than. Than active Good ones. Current Seahawks. And the Seahawks are off to what they're like. I think this is like the second best start in franchise history they've had through 14 games, 11 and 3. They've only, I think, 12 and 2 is the only other time they've been better than where they are right now. And yet the Seahawks did not. I think the common thought around town is they did not get their proper due when it came to. Pro Bowl nods. I mean, you've got the regulars, Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. Those guys are shoe-ins every single year. And we'll get into just how much reputation factors into Pro Bowl nods because obviously Russ and Bobby have the reputation across the league as superstar players. But maybe there's some unsung guys on the Seahawks roster that deserve consideration over people that did make it. And is that just part of the Seahawks' identity, too? We should discuss at 945 because, I mean, never one coach of the year, never one executive of the year. Maybe it's just the fact that we're tucked away up here in the Pacific Northwest. It's it's I also think part of it is you just kind of take their success for granted that yeah because it just you expect them to be where they are Mm -hmm. every single year And, and anything less than that kind of is is almost disappointing in a way and yet you still it's like yesterday on Tom Jake and Stacy we were looking at the Cardinals team history they have been around for a hundred seasons yeah you know how many times they have had more than 11 wins in a season one one time yeah in a hundred years they have had one season with more than 11 wins whereas here in Seattle in Pete Carroll's tenure that's happened I think three times four times something like that so it's just the success that has come in Seattle over the last decade or so. You get used to it, but you also don't want to get used to it because this is an era of success that we haven't seen ever before here with the Seahawks. So, you know, hopefully they do get their recognition. Also, uh, this week, college basketball, Gonzaga continues to roll. They beat North Carolina by double digits this last week. They finished off a stretch beating number 22 Washington in Heckhead beating number 15 Arizona in McHale, and then beating North Carolina at home. Yeah, North Carolina was down Cole Anthony, but Gonzaga right now, the number two team in the country, they're looking really good again. Yeah, and, and it's not that bad, though, for those Pac-12 teams because you played against a great opponent, and that might help you um, on the flip side of things. I, I mean, I didn't get to see the Arizona game, but UW played them pretty yeah. close to, till the end. Well, right? and that's, yeah, I think one thing that Arizona and Washington have in common this year is they're both really young teams. Obviously, UW being led by Jaden McDaniels and Isaiah Stewart, two true freshmen. Getting that kind of experience and getting huge minutes because, as we know, Washington's not really a deep team this year. They're only running about a rotation of seven guys currently. But to put up 35, 40 minutes against a ball club like Gonzaga, I mean, that's going to go a long way. I think I, I would expect Washington – 
and Arizona, two of the younger teams in the Pac-12, to get better and better as the season goes along just because you're gaining valuable experience and and going up against teams like Gonzaga in the non-conference, you're gonna you're gonna learn a lot about yourself. Yeah. Meanwhile, Utah upsetting Kentucky the other day too. So yeah. Good news for the Pac-12. Shout out to that. Uh, also, some Mariner, not quite news or anything, <laughs> but there is a rumor, a potential reunion with somebody that uh, had an up and down first go around with the Mariners. We're talking about Taiwan Walker, which is young Skywalker. Yeah, it's a it's a name that I don't think Mariner fans have thought about in a while just because he's dealt with a lot of injuries during his time with the Diamondbacks. But he's a free agent. I think it was Greg Johns of MLB.com put it out there this week that there could be a, a possibility of a reunion between the two sides. When you hear Taiwan Walker's name and the promise that came with him the first time around, do you think a second time around would, would be worth a flyer? I'm not sure he always had the tools to best succeed when he was here or if he had the development support that he deserved when he was here by all accounts I've still kept up with him and followed him through Arizona a little bit and I I just think the person that he is fits the culture up here he started a tradition down there in Arizona where he would make tacos he would make tacos for fans like every Tuesday and just drive to somewhere random in Arizona and like give them out to free for for people based on his own recipe. So I think like that kind of team-oriented person, especially if it's a low-cost risk, that's the, that's the dependent part because clearly you're going through a rebuilding of sorts process. So as long as it wouldn't be a, too expensive a flyer, I think he would be great here. Coming up in this hour, we take a look at Chris Peterson's final time as head coach of the Huskies, or at least final time for now. That's coming up in about 15 minutes. But up next, plenty of injuries, also too, too many suspensions for the Seahawks this week. How are they going to go about filling those holes tomorrow? We talk that next. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Well, this is nice and festive. Woo! Shout out to Matt. Yeah, Matt Nelson. The best board in the game over there. He's nodding his head in agreement right <laughs> yep. now. Emphatically. Exactly. But uh, coming up in this hour, Chris Peterson, one final bow for him coming up later this afternoon in the Las Vegas Bowl. We discussed that coming up at 9.30, but... Uh, I mean, the Seahawks this week, they're going to be dealing with a lot of injuries, first off. You've got Jadevian Clowney, Quandre Diggs, two huge contributors to that defense, that defense likely going to be out. Yeah, both doubtful as as of now, according to the injury report. Three more players are questionable. You wonder what the effectiveness of Bobby Wagner is going to be, because on Sunday that looked like a terrible injury that he suffered. And, <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the fact that it should just tell you how tough some of these players are and the fact that he likely sprained his ankle and is just now a full participant on Friday. Yeah, if I if I suffer that same injury, I'm still in the hospital. Today. Yeah, if I stub my toe, I'm in there. Yeah, what are you talking about? Read me my last <laughs> <Yeah>. rights. <laughs> let's let's end it all right now. But uh you've got those injuries you gotta deal with. But then the news at the beginning of the week, Josh Gordon four ga- or not four games, an indefinite suspension for violating league substance abuse and PED policy. And then on Friday, you had Al Woods getting suspended for uh, violating the league's PED policy. He's going to get suspended for four games, and that could potentially stretch 
late into the postseason or into next season, depending on how long the Seahawks mm-hmm. are alive. Uh, so, or depending on where the Seahawks start, if they have a wild card game, then he could be back by the NFC Championship game. If they don't and get the first round by, then he could be back by the Super Bowl. So there is a chance we see Al Woods again this season, but he's going to be missing some pretty important games. Most notably, right now is Week 17 against the 49ers. How, like, where do you even start with the Seahawks, and and how do you go about replacing all of this production that they could be out tomorrow? Mm-hmm. To me, I think the tougher group to replace is going to be the Clowney Diggs combo uh, against the Cardinals and, and possibly even the 49ers. Just because when I look at Josh Gordon and what he brought to the Seahawks, it was it was definitely an eye opening signing when they got him, but. He was kind of a luxury for the Seahawks offense. Almost just like a bonus. It wasn't someone yeah. you counted on to begin the season. It was just a pleasant surprise. It, yeah, and it was just like, all right, we've got Josh Gordon to play with now. Like, this is nice. And he was here for four games and came up with a massive catch on Sunday that really set the tone for the game against the Panthers. But you look at just... His overall production, he had, what, just seven receptions as a Seahawk, used mainly on third downs. Mm-hmm. Had that beauty of a catch on Sunday, of course, like mm-hmm. the 55-yarder fingertip catch. And then also Al Woods on the defensive side of the ball. He's been a you know mainstay on the defensive line this year. But I look at his production, and I got to be honest, I feel like you can get that kind of production from just about any defensive line. But maybe that's our overlooking that position a little bit. Pete Carroll mentioned on Friday it's a bit of an unsung position sometimes, occasionally. I mean, we really even haven't talked that much about Jaron Reed this year, which is kind of surprising. Um, But, you know, he's that's what he was brought in for to be that big run stuffer. It does trouble me a little bit because he has the veteran experience because the next two teams they play are teams that run the ball pretty well. Yeah, Kenyon Drake tomorrow. Four four, touchdowns. Yeah, he's been running it really well. Yes. Kyler Murray, a very mobile quarterback. How are you going to get to him tomorrow? And then, of course, the 49ers, also a team that Matt Breda and, and company. Raheem Mostert. Know how to run that ball. So, it just with the veteran presence and how banged up you have been in in, in the defensive line, uh, I'm a little worried about it. But of course, yes, Jadevian Clowney is one of the best defensive players that you have on the. He team. might be the most valuable defensive yes. player the Seahawks have in 2019. Bobby Webb, yeah, and Quandre Diggs, what he's given the secondary in just his handful of games. I mean, he is he when he is in there. I don't worry about the secondary. Mm-hmm. And tomorrow, he's not going to be in there, and he, it, it leaves a lot to chance. And I don't like that. I don't like it. I don't like it either. The other questionables, another two great defensive players, Shaquille Griffin and Michael Kendricks, too. And you mentioned being concerned about that secondary there. If you are out Quandre Diggs and Shaquille Griffin, I have a lot of concerns. Those are the two best defensive backs the Seahawks have had this year. Yeah. And, you, yeah, it's a secondary that's already struggled, and you're going up against an offense that likes to throw the ball. They're going to throw it probably 40 times, maybe even more. How are the Seahawks going to be able to counter that aerial assault that you know Arizona has? Then again, maybe they are that team that just 
has dealt with injuries a lot this year and finds a way to step up in those moments. Pete Carroll mentioned that earlier. I'm going to find that piece of sound where he talks about they've sort of become the team that's used to guys standing in and and getting the production. Uh, I'll find it later for it to play for you guys. But, uh, yeah, that's just kind of their identity. There's been times this year where we're like, no, not him. You can't lose him. But then it turns out, like – the Philadelphia game, I think, is the biggest example of that. When Clowney went down for the first time, and we didn't know how the Seahawks were going to respond, they ended up having their best game as an entire defense, only giving up nine points to Philadelphia. But you look at, right now, the time of the season in which these injuries are piling up. We're two weeks away from the postseason, and the Seahawks still have work to do in order to get a bye in that first week of the postseason and to avoid having to go on the road for at least one week in the playoffs, when you look at just the totality of the injuries that have piled up, especially to key contributors like Wagner and Clowney, do you want the Seahawks to maybe be mindful of that Mm -hmm. if they are able to clinch the division on this week? Because there is that possibility where Seattle can clinch before Week 17, depending on how these weird tiebreakers work out, because I think Danny O'Neill has this weird, Mm -hmm. like, they got to get help from everybody this week if that's going to happen. And if that, yeah, and I'm sure you'll be watching the 49ers game today yes. to see the results of that because yes, it will it will affect you. But it's such a gamble, right? Knowing if you're going should rest a player, and you can't get caught looking past a team or looking past a game. You had to focus on every single game, as Pete would say, as a championship opportunity. And I think sometimes we as fans can't help but look past that. Oh, to that 49ers game. Oh, to that playoff, potential playoff game. But you got to go out and you got to win this game. This is like a must win game. Yeah. And so, who do you, who, who, how, how do you play that game, that delicate balance of who to rest? Because you also need them down the stretch in the playoffs. The Seahawks have never, for as long as I can remember, they've never been a team that has taken their foot off the gas pedal when they've already clinched. Exactly. Last year in week 17, they had clinched a playoff berth and they were either going to be the five or the six seed. And they were going to go on the road regardless because they didn't win the division. And yet they still had their starters out in the fourth quarter against Arizona last year. And I think they had to get a Sebastian Janikowski field goal at the the final whistle to win it. But even in that situation where there was little to nothing for the Seahawks to gain, they still had Russell Wilson out on the field deep into that game. They still had Chris Carson out there. They still have Bobby Wagner and all these huge contributors, Tyler Lockett. And yet they were still playing as though their lives depended on it. And to me, I don't I just I don't know if that's the best way to go about it. Yeah, you want to teach competition. Yeah, you always like you said, Lydia, Pete Carroll always, you know, enters a game as though it's a championship opportunity. But sometimes you kind of have to look ahead and say, is this going to be the best situation for us long term if we go into a game where there's little to nothing to be gained and we lose a key contributor? The most comforting thing, I think, if you're a Seahawks fan right now is knowing that your offense is largely intact and that this game could come down to offense versus offense. And I put that my money on Russ every single time. Yes, I do think that 
they're building something there in Arizona, and there's potential. Kyler Murray is one of only three players now to throw for over 3,000 yards and rush for 500. It hasn't translated into wins for them yet, but it could at one point. We'll see. But if you pit offense against offense and there's being relatively healthy at Seattle, I, I put my money on Russ, and I feel good about that on Sunday. I'm feeling good, too, because, I mean – Russell Wilson is the biggest reason why the Seahawks are 11-3. and three. And Russell Wilson is going to be the biggest reason why the Seahawks go as far as they do mm-hmm. in the postseason. And it is nice to have somebody like that where you can just point to and be like, well, we've got this guy, you don't. <laughs> yeah, let's go. Let's, let's go. Coming up uh, in this hour, we still got some conversation about the Pro Bowl. Does it surprise you anymore to see so little Seattle representation but coming up, we've had a while to process Chris Peterson's final game as head coach of the Huskies, but that day is now finally here. We sort it all out. Coming up here, Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Christmas and Hollis. One of the best Christmas songs. Oh, absolutely. Ah. Run DMC. Let's go. Matt Nelson continuing to play the hits. But, uh, yeah, Huskies today, there is, it's a weird day because you kind of know how it might end. I mean, obviously there's going to be a lot of emotion for the Huskies because this is the last day for now as we continue to kind of put out there. I don't know if like Chris Peterson's going to come back as the Huskies head coach or if he had, is a head coach anywhere else after this. Maybe this is it for him as a head coach. But we've had a while now to process this, about a month. But the day is finally here. Does it feel any different right now knowing that Chris Peterson is not going to be the head coach of the Huskies after today than it did the day we found out he was going to resign as head coach? I think it's... Less shocking, sure. You've had some time to process it as a me as a fan. At the at the same time, I can't say that I was totally shocked when it came that news came down. Just because, again, I'd been listening to his press conferences the entirety of when he's been here in the last two years. He sounded different. You could kind of hear it in his voice that he was very much over everything that came with being head coach. Yes. Outside of the like X's and O's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. If it if it was just about playing on the field, just about the development of young men and, and helping them grow into full human beings, then I think he would absolutely be all in. But the political element, the fundraising, the recruiting, the talking to the media, that part of it, it just didn't shock me that he wasn't you know, driven by that anymore. And he also just strikes me as a person we've talked about since his, his, he got here as being a person of integrity and being a person who will make those tough decisions uh, when he knows that they're the right ones to do. So this is, to me, just in line with his person. It, it's just in line with his personality. This is a tough decision, but it, I know it's the right one and I'm going to make it. Yeah, being a head coach in college football, you have to be a salesperson. You have to promote yourself and also promote your program. And the the most successful head coaches, like Dabo Swinney comes to mind when I think of self-promoters and people who are always going to tout their program every single opportunity they get. Nick Saban, not so much, but he's got his resume to fall back on and he doesn't really need to tout anything other than, you know, Flash's rings. Chris Peterson has never once come across as somebody that's going to be like, you know, 
hey, come to Washington and do, you know, we've got all this stuff here. And mm-hmm. he's just kind of, you know, been like, yeah, if you want to come to Washington, that's great, but we're going to find our guys and, and we're going to, you know, line up against anybody at any time. And I don't know if – I think he kind of realized that that personality in 2019 and 2020 just may not work anymore in the college football game, and which is – it's unfortunate to think about because you want programs ran with integrity. You want programs that you never have to worry about the NCAA coming down on them for you know lack of institutional control, which never was going to be the case with Peterson as, as the head coach. And there's going to be, I think, a very different vibe come, you know, around the Husky program under Jimmy Lake. And I'm not saying that, like, Jimmy Lake is dirty or anything like that. No, not even close. But I think Jimmy Lake's personality is so much different than Chris Peterson. Jimmy Lake is a salesman. He is a guy that, you know, will do the necessary work in 2020 and beyond to kind of put UW's program out there as a premier destination in the Pac-12 you know, a la Dabo and what he does with Clemson. and I think he's just more naturally extroverted. Yes, <laughs> just, which is something you know. that you kind of need to be mm-hmm. if you're going to be a head coach in college. Now, I think Chris Peterson's coaching style very – I think it's almost like a pro, you know, head coach where mm-hmm. he, you know, Bill Belichick, he doesn't need to sell anything. Yeah, you're just hoping that your program sells itself. Mm-hmm. I, I don't need – I relate to that, Chris, by the way, because the – one job I had in my life where I had to sort of be a salesperson when I worked as a bartender on the train for Amtrak and you had to upsell customers on certain things. And that's just not my style. I'm with you, Chris. I would, I'll help and educate and, and, you know, give you the answers to any questions you have, but I don't want to be out here like selling you on something that you don't believe in or you don't want. Like if, if it looks great to you, then sure. Yeah. Like it should be, I think, in Chris's mind, too, in the, in the ideal world, I'm going to create this great thing. It's going to sell itself. I don't have to. I don't have to go be a used car salesman on top of it. No, and and doing the song and dance of selling yourself, I've never once thought of Chris Peterson as that kind of person. Washington, though, after today, it's going to be a much different program, and there's going to be a lot more questions on how they go forward. And and I think a big question today is going to be. Jacob Eason. Is this also his final game as a Husky? Because there, you know, we don't really know if he's, you know, going to want to come back because of maybe how the play calling has been this year, or maybe he feels as though he's done enough in college to be ready for the pros. Is Jacob Eason, is his future going to be clearer after today or do you think there's still going to be some cloudiness as to what his next move is going to be I think it could be dependent on a couple of things I could honestly be dependent on it it's a it's a big sign that he chose to come back for the bowl game there were some players that opted out of that and made the decision that they felt was right for them Trey Adams and Hunter Bryant being two of those guys Jacob Eason going to be part of this bowl game and Chris Peterson said that from the get-go I think it's interesting if he feels that he has a great performance in this game and it's, you know, visible enough for people. Or also, I think potentially, and it's weird to say, but I think potentially the change in coaching staff might actually be a reason to entice him to come back. I think that they might change some things on offense that uh, would be 
you know, more attractive for him to remain on Montlake and and put up better numbers and better tape out there for next year's draft. We've seen the Husky offense be kind of passive in years past, and Jimmy Lake at his introductory press conference said he wants the offense to adapt the aggressive mentality that his defense has had for the last couple of years. And so now here we go. I'm the head football coach. And for the guys that know me, I'm in a very aggressive attack mode type personality. And that's where we're going to take this thing. Coaching the defensive backs, coaching the defense, I always want to be aggressive. I always want to be on attack mode. And that is going to be bled all the way through now into our offense and into our special teams. If you've got an arm like Jacob Eason where you can throw it quarter mile and you hear your head coach say I want to be as aggressive on offense as I am on defense that's very enticing like if you know me and my my rocket laser arm when I hear that (laughs) I want to you know throw the pigskin around but I I don't know if this I don't know I think Jacob Eason is one of the hardest people to like get a read on Mm -hmm. in in any you know team here in Seattle because he came in with so much hype and yet he was still battling with Jacob Hayner deep into the offseason, deep into the fall camp, and just squeaked out the starting job. And, you know, there were games where he looked amazing. The BYU game sticks out to me where he looked his absolute best. But then there were other games, what was it, the Colorado game, where I don't even think he had 200 yards passing. It's been so up and down for Jacob Eason this season. Would he... You know, is that has he put enough out there for NFL teams to say, "All right, yeah, that's our guy for the future," or does he need another year of of grooming? To me, I just I don't know if college is right for his skill set. I think he could be benefited more by pro teams coaching him because, got to be honest, Bush Hamden leaving a lot to be desired as the Huskies play caller. Yeah, and maybe that's all things that he might be weighing right now and just trying to figure out where his development can take that next step and which situation it's right for him. If it is the case that he decides to, you know, go to the draft, go to the NFL, what's next for the Huskies? That's also my next question. This year, part of their class, uh, getting Ethan Garbers out of California, uh, pro-style quarterback and a four, four-star recruit for them. You've they, got Dylan Morris mm-hmm. and Jacob Sermon already uh, in the program. So it, you'd think it'd be one of those three guys under center if Jacob Eason doesn't come back. Would it be best for the program going forward getting those guys more reps early on in their careers if Eason does, in fact, decide to go pro? Also a great question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we saw from Jake Browning where he had just so much experience heading into his senior year, and, and it was it was good of him to get all that under his belt. But, man, like, it it's – you've kind of ex- – The Huskies, you've been able to kind of figure out what they're going to be at the start of every season, and this year was a little bit disappointing because I think a lot of people expected them to contend for a Pac-12 crown. i got to be honest. Next year's Husky team, I have no idea what they're going to be like. And year after that, still no idea what they're going to be like. It's it's such a weird time right now to follow the Huskies and and know – or, or even just speculate as to what their next move is going to be. But I think it's a good sign that your 2020 class, you didn't lose any yes. big-name people from it because what matters, too, is how you get 
the players to buy into your system. That's what it begins with. If you don't have player buy-in, which we're seeing right now at USC, it's kind of a sad situation of where they were ranked last in the Pac-12 recruiting class. And Wild. that just, it's crazy to think from even a couple years ago where they were at, just tells you about, again, player buy-in. And Clay Helton is, and the, by all accounts, the nicest human being ever. But at the end of the day, that's not what matters. What matters is getting people to believe in your culture. So the good news is that while there might be some unknowns and question marks, the players certainly uh, believe in what they're building here. Just around the corner, does it surprise you anymore to see so little representation of Seahawks on the NFC Pro Bowl roster? We answered that. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Also one of my faves. I mean, we're four days out from Christmas, but you can start celebrating. Basically all of the Home Alone and Home Alone 2 soundtracks also acceptable. Hits. I mean, the Seahawks right now, they're not going to be home alone come no. playoff time. No. They're going to be doing their thing Full with stadium. everybody else. Full stadium. But the Pro Bowl, kind of, uh, kind of a lonesome affair for Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson. They're so looking the Ke- around. They're the Kevin McAllisters. Yeah, the they're looking around like, hey, where's, where is everybody? Oh. Yeah. they leave without me? <laughs> well, they're going to be the only Seahawks right now being represented at the Pro Bowl, which is... If it breaks right for Seattle, they'll have no Pro Bowl representatives because they'll be playing for the Super Bowl. But there was, I think, a lack of recognition for the Seahawks this year. And it kind of seems like that's the case more often than not with just your two household names getting nods. Seven different guys were alternates this year. But you also look at Baltimore, who is a game ahead of you in the standings. They're sending 12 players to the Pro Bowl. And maybe that's a case of just the AFC being so much worse than the NFC this year, where the best team does get represented more. But, man, it feels like there's more than two Seahawks that should be represented. Who's the biggest snub? Is Is there one definitive snub that you look at on the Seahawks roster? So part of the assessment you have to make is who made it ahead of this person Mm -hmm. and do you believe that person is more deserving? So there was a couple of arguments made on the station this week about who the potential snubs would be. I think Chris Carson definitely is a name that you could throw in there, right? He's having another incredible season, uh, over 1,100 yards rushing at this point, right? And the people ahead of him, Dalvin Cook which kind of shocked me that he's named the starter. Yeah. Because Christian McCaffrey absolutely deserves to be in that mix. Christian McCaffrey, the most productive running back in football. Mm-hmm. He is setting records because not he could almost be on there as a wide receiver as well. But Christian McCaffrey, I believe, should have gotten that start. And then Dalvin Cook, he, touchdown-wise, has been very productive. You look at Cook's last four games, though. 26 rushing yards, 29 rushing yards, 62 rushing yards, 27. Mm-hmm. He has not been anywhere near as productive as Chris Carson has been late in the season. Christian McCaffrey as well. But you look at Cook's total resume, it speaks to someone that's been you know doing it for the entire season. But he got off to such a hot start. 
He had 500-yard games in his first seven games this year, came really close to a sixth in that time span. His production has dropped off. I think defenses have started to figure him out. I think the one thing, though, that voters looked at with Chris Carson was his fumbles. He's got seven with four of those you know, being lost fumbles. Great point, yep. But at the end of the day, even with those fumbles, it has not hampered the Seahawks to the point where they're losing games. I mean, there was the the Saints game where he was, you know, losing balls all, all over the place. That's just one game, though. And the Seahawks are 11-3, and three, and what he has done this season has not been a detraction to what the Seahawks have accomplished. I think he's probably the biggest possible snub on the Seahawks roster. But that's the thing, when you name snubs, that means they have to take the place of somebody mm-hmm. on the roster of the NFC. Dwayne Brown, that's another guy. He's played through injury this year and has been incredibly productive. He's been the anchor of the offensive line for Seattle, and he stepped up even with Justin Britt going down, and the Seahawks offensive line really hasn't lost a step after that, and I think that's due in large part to what Dwayne Brown has done. I think, though, the biggest – snub on the Seahawks. Dwayne Brown, by the way, pro bowler several times over before coming yeah. to Seattle. <laughs> not, several times all pro. Not in Seattle. But I think the biggest one to me is Jadevian Clowney. Yeah. He does not have the sack numbers that, that pop out to you, but that's not where his value is as a pass rusher. That's somebody that's going to draw double teams. That's somebody who we've seen you know, draw interceptions and fumbles and just wreak havoc in many different ways rather than just sacking the quarterback, which I think to the average fan out there, sack totals are the be-all, end-all stat when it comes to defensive linemen. And and maybe that's the case to the players that voted as well, because as, I think it, it's Fans, players, players and executives or coaches. coaches. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what Clowney has brought to Seattle's defense, I don't even want to know what Seattle's defense would look like without him this season. Mm-hmm. Because he has been an absolute godsend to what Seattle's trying to do. Yeah, obviously ampered by some injuries this year, which also might you know be working against his favor. But I ab- absolutely agree with you. Also, if we're sticking on the defensive side of things, Shaquille Griffin, I think, deserves some shout-out, some recognition. Pete Carroll agreed on that earlier this week. He's had a terrific season. He's been productive. He's been consistent. Uh, he's been really active. It, it's a whole step forward from where he was last year. It's a, it, it's a, he's playing like he's capable, like he was capable of playing. I, I really hope that this would have been the year two. And I think, I think last year, and, and he and I both realized it didn't, didn't set it up the right way in the way we approached it. And uh, he fixed that this offseason. And you can tell the results. I think, too, yeah, that's an important thing to take into account, the jump or the progress that player has made. I know a lot of this, if you're going, if you're looking at the roster, there has to be some element of reputation, right? What did you do last year or what have you done historically that gets some of these players uh, consideration or voting? But I think that he could be in that conversation. Jalen Ramsey made it. I'm not sure that yeah, Jalen Ramsey played. deserves it. Yeah, uh, well, barely played him in the NFC. He's mm-hmm. He joined the Rams midseason, and maybe it's encompassing all that he did this year with Jacksonville and L.A., but like we see it in Major League Baseball when a player changes leagues, when they go from the American League to the National League, and they get voted in as an all-star, they don't 
play for the league they've been traded to. They they do get an invite and they're like at the game, but they don't play for their new league because what they accomplished was in their old league. I think the NFL should maybe consider that when when the Pro Bowl voting comes around because like can you say that Jalen Ramsey has been one of the best NFC cornerbacks for the entire season? Well, no, because he hasn't been in the NFC for the entire season. He is a huge name, and I mean, maybe at the end of the day, it is an all-star game, and you want all the stars there. But eh, it, it's like, come on, guys! Yeah. Like, it's he—he he is good, but he has not been for the duration of the season a one of the best NFC cornerbacks. Yeah, I, maybe I, that's you know picking yeah, picking hairs, nitpicking a little bit. I, I'm going to make the argument that, A, it's not great for these players because they deserve recognition if it's built into their bonus structure. They deserve all the accolades that come with that. But on the flip side, if we are going to find a positive here, I'm going to say that this is a positive thing for the Seahawks because it means that they're doing what they're doing without all of the star talent that, according to the league, star talent, that some of these other teams have, like the Ravens and like the Saints, who I think are sending seven players. So I would say that that says a testament to their next man up philosophy or their like philosophy and how they play for one another and how Russell Wilson also just makes all the players around him better. Bobby, you could argue for that on the defensive side of things. I think those are the the captains of your team, the two people that you absolutely want represented there. And, and for the rest of it, while I do think some of them were snubbed, I think ultimately it's a good thing because your team if if you're the team that that doesn't require all the star players to do this, that's almost more infuriating for other people. Yeah, um, uh, Bobby Wagner he spoke this week yeah. about Seattle only getting two Pro Bowlers, and uh, he said maybe it's because they sleep on Seattle. They hate our team a lot because we're in the Pacific Northwest, and um, but we have a lot of amazing players on our team that deserved um, a Pro Bowl. Hopefully, it's a situation where nobody gets the goals because we're doing something a lot better than. Oh, the Pro Bowl. I mean, yeah. that's that's the ideal situation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, because it, it's nice to see your guys play in the Pro Bowl if you watch the game. I, personally, I don't really watch the Pro Bowl because, I mean, it's it's diet football. There's mm-hmm. no tackling. Uh, but Skills competition. Do yeah. you enjoy that, though? Yeah. It's always fun to see, like, you know, who who can run the fastest 40 of, of the best players in the NFL. Um, but – yeah, I, I think Bobby, what he said in his press conference this week, there is some meat on that bone. I, I do think the Seahawks, you look at the names on this roster, very, you know, they don't pop out to the average NFL fan as much as they used to in the years 2013 and 14 when they were so brash, and that was the personality of this team. This year, they just quietly go about their business, and they're not as out there as those teams were. And. Yeah, it, it's not a, it's not something that's going to grab the attention of anybody just you know tuning into a Seahawks game. But I mean, it, it's paid off. They're eleven and three, and they're in position to become the one seed in the NFC if they just take care of business the last two games of the regular season. I mean, mm-hmm. what more could you want from a team? I, I, and it really does. You know, individual accolades are nice, but as the players will say and. As you know, it's a great reminder, especially when we're talking about the Pro Bowl. Team accolades are what is this team's ultimate goal. It Going is for nice. those rings, yeah. Ultimately, I there's been a yeah. I'm totally fine if the Seahawks continue to frustrate people 
with that very concept, the fact that they only have two pro bowlers on their team, or the fact that they keep winning these close games and it just boggles and baffles people's minds. You had a great idea at 1030, Curtis. Uh, we're going to Mm. Try a new segment, the hot takedown. Yeah, a lot of, uh, we'll, a lot of disrespect of yes. thrown the Seahawks' way this week from many national analysts. We'll talk uh, that coming up at 10.30, but before that, we give you our big three for the 10 o'clock hour. Huge triple header today in the NFL, some college basketball news, and another AL West team making moves to compete in 2020. We get into all of that coming up. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle.